so uh, there's an old southern expression that goes, you can put lipstick on a pig, but what? Still pig, right? You can put lipstick on a pig, but guess what? It's still a pig, meaning that you can, you can pretty something up. You can pretty up a pig. You can pretty up a situation. You can pretty up something that's pretty ugly, but you're just covering up the truth. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a big, old, muddy, messy, stinky pig. No offense to pigs or pig lovers out there. But all of us, right, all of us have tried that before. We've, we've put lipstick on many a pigs. We've tried to pretty up some parts of our lives, but the ugly truth is still there. It's just now glossed over. It's what we do. I mean, don't we all want to present a better version of ourselves out into the world? Don't we all want to present a better version of ourselves out into others? Yeah, my family's great. When really, your family's kind of struggling. Yeah, I can afford that. When really, you're broke. Yeah, I'm, I'm here in church. Well, good for you. But you haven't prayed in a few months. There's still that person that you haven't forgiven, and maybe it's yourself, and you're not really sure if you believe anything anymore, but hey, you're here in your Sunday's best. It's the temptation to look good rather than to actually be good. Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. Temptation to look good rather than to actually um, be good. But <clears throat> here's the truth. That temptation is very, very dangerous because, because, and especially when it comes to our faith, that when we fall into that temptation, we end up missing out on the authenticity and the truth-telling that can actually change us and transform our lives. Because it's hard to pass off a pig for a beauty pageant contestant, right? It's hard to solve a problem if you never own up to the fact that there is a problem to be dealt with. So Jesus talks about this at, at the very end of his most famous sermon. Uh, so if you're not like a Bible reader or not like into the whole Jesus thing yet, go home, read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Uh, that's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It'll give you a pretty good understanding about what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus. We won't go through it all, but here's the really crazy thing. Jesus' most famous sermon His famous teaching from the Sermon on the Mount was not so much about what to believe. There's some of that in there. It wasn't so much about what to believe, but it was really about what to do. What to do. And so in it, he says things like this. If you're on your way to church and you remember that you have something against somebody, that there's something in the relationship that's not right, then you need to turn your car around, go back home, and make it right with them before you show up in church. He says things like, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn your other cheek towards them. Love your enemies, but do not love money. Do not judge others. Give to the needy. Don't let money control you. It's mostly about doing. 
doing, behavior, actions. Jesus says, essentially, listen, if you have a big faith in God, if you have a big faith in a big God, then this, this is what you should do. Not so much this is what you should believe, but this is what you should do. This is how you should behave. Jesus was teaching a to-do list. That this is what it looks like to have absolute perfect faith in God. Here's the to-do list, so now go and get to doing. And then he ends his sermon this way. And it's brilliant. I just love this so much. He says, therefore... Therefore, meaning in light of everything that I've taught you, in light of everything that I've said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Again, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So imagine this. Jesus just gives his most powerful sermon. And here's how he ends it. Here's the sermon. Now, if you don't go and do something with what I just told you, then you might as well have just stayed home or gone fishing. Because it's totally useless unless you do something with all of this teaching, all of this information. It's no good to you unless you hear these words of mine and put them into practice. But how often, you can be honest, how often do we show up at church, we hear a sermon that's, eh, you know, and then you go home and you do diddly about it. And sometimes it's my fault. I'll, I'll, I'll own up to it. Sometimes it's a little fuzzy in the direction that I'm trying to steer you guys in, But let's also be honest. Sometimes you sit here in church and you know exactly what it is that you need to do, what exactly what it is that you need to change about your life, and you go home and you do nada, nothing, zip, zero about it. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear five different sermons, and it might be helpful information, it might be interesting But if you don't do anything with it, then it's just going to be TBU. True, but useless. See, unapplied truth is like instructions. They're really helpful, necessary even, but they don't do anybody any good unless they're actually applied, unless they're actually used to work out a problem. And so we're going to look at some of the major areas of our lives, our, our faith, uh, our family, our finances, our work, our rest, all of it. But if you don't do anything different from hearing the sermon, then you might as well have just stayed at home or gone fishing. But we want you here, okay? Let me, let me say that. I, I do want you here. 
So what we've done is that we've developed a small group uh, study where you get a chance to sit around in a circle with a whole bunch of other people who are trying to better themselves, trying to change some things in their life. You get to dig a little bit deeper into scripture, ask some of the hard questions, set some goals for your life based around these five areas of your life and be held accountable to those goals. We've developed a a Bible reading plan where you can read a passage of scripture each day throughout the next five weeks. And if you follow it, you'll end up reading the entire Gospel of Matthew and the longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119. And who knows, you might read something in there that steps on your toes a little bit, and that's just a hint that maybe your feet are on the wrong path and you need to change your ways. We've done all of this, all of this, to help transform you to help better you. Because isn't that what we all want? When we're alone and we're looking in the mirror and our thoughts are running and we notice some of those places where we've tried to put some lipstick on over those ugly places, but we know we got some deep work to do. And so this is an invitation. This is an offering, offering for you to be invited in to that. Because being just a consistent church attender is of almost no value. It's really not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I really love Sundays. I really love being with you all here on Sunday mornings. I love that I get to talk and you all get to listen because nobody in my household listens to me ever. Um, I love Sundays. But let's be honest. I, I know the truth that A sermon is of little or no value to you unless you actually take it and apply it to your life. Attendance doesn't make a difference. Obedience does. Listening to me talk doesn't do a darn thing for your soul or your relationship with God or others unless you apply it. Because if you don't, it's just true but useless. And God isn't sitting up in heaven keeping track of your attendance. Okay? God isn't like, oh, Tim's here, check. Lexi's here, check. Chris is here, check. Fred, wait. Fred. I believe that God has something much deeper. A a much deeper concern for your life than just seeing how many tally marks you can get next to the attendance box. That God desires for you, God desires for each of us to have an internal faith that totally transforms us. That's the core of what we believe as Christians. That God wants to see us changed into God's likeness. It's not just about how we can get to heaven one day, but it's about here and now. How can we live heavenly lives here and now. And if your New Year's resolution was to come to church, then really good for you. Glad you're here. And I hope you're taking notes. And I hope you're making a to-do list. So let's look again at how Jesus ends his sermon. He says, Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine, anyone, that that means anyone who goes to church, anyone who reads the books, anyone who listens to the podcast, if anyone hears these words of mine and believes them, we could add, but does not put them into practice, like a foolish man who built his house on sand. That you can have 100% attendance and still be a fool. 
You can listen to every sermon, read every book, and you can still be a fool. You know, it's one thing to know about nutrition. It's another thing to eat healthy. You can watch all the Bruce Lee movies, but it's not going to make you a black belt, right? It doesn't help you until you actually get down to work and put it into practice. You can get all the books, all the CDs on exercise. You can walk into the gym with your new gym bag. You can talk to the trainer. You can even sit down on a bench, and people will come by and see all the wealth of the knowledge, all your gear, all your swag, and all that, and they'll say, wow, you must be an expert. And as you shove a Twinkie in your mouth, you can say, oh, yeah, I'm an expert. Mm -hmm." But, but... Are you experienced? You might be an expert, yeah, but, but are you experienced? There's a difference between an external show of religiosity and an internal transformational faith. The first is like putting lipstick on a pig. You may be an expert, but are you experienced? And so here's what's so fascinating about this story that that Jesus tells. It's that both of these houses are identical. That both of these houses have the same set of instructions. Both of these houses have the same blueprints. You know, both of these people have heard the same words of Jesus, right? They've read the instructions. They've seen the blueprints. But one of them makes a terrible mistake. The same mistake that every man has made before They've thrown out the instruction manual, and he ends up building his house on sand. And now there's something about this setting that that you need to kind of understand, so hang with me here, because uh, it's really important, because when we hear this parable that Jesus uh, speaks about, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, because we see houses that are built on sand along the coastline of Florida all the time, but there's something really unique about the setting here, um, that... In the, in the Middle East, it's actually a fairly rocky place, and there's not a whole lot of sand there. I know we might picture different things when we think of the Middle East in our head, but there's actually not a lot of sand. It's mostly rocky and mountainous. There's not a whole lot of places where you could actually build a house on sand except for a place called a wadi. Now, a wadi is a valley, a ravine, a channel that is mostly dry and sandy except for the rainy season. And do you know what happens to a wadi during the rainy season? The storm comes, the rains fall, and there is a flash flood. And so at the end of Jesus' sermon on the mount, he says, don't build your house on sand. Don't build your house in the middle of the wadi. And everyone listening to Jesus would be like, yeah, duh. Who would ever build their house in the middle of the wadi? But Jesus knows something. Jesus is wise. And Jesus knows that we don't always follow common sense. And so he says, imagine... Imagine that someone actually did build their house on sand. Imagine that someone did build their house in the middle of this wadi. They built their house on sand. They built their house on debt. 
They've built their house on lies and cheating. They've built their house on greed. They've built their house on hurting others. They've built their house on themselves, not paying any attention to God or their family or kids or others around them. And the rain came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. The same house that came against the wise man's house built on the rock. But the foolish man's house fell with a great crash. Their house built on debt because they just wanted more and more and more and more stuff came crashing down when the bottom fell out. Their house built on mistrust and cheating came crashing down when they were found out. Their house built on working more and more hours because they got a promotion and they're not spending time with their family came crashing down when they were served divorce papers. Two houses, same blueprints, same instructions, but one heard the instructions and put them to use. And the other person didn't. So Jesus says, one was wise, and one was a fool. Because the rain will fall, and the streams will rise, and one will be safe, and the other is built right in the middle of the high-risk zone. And so look at this from Proverbs chapter 9. It says, Do not rebuke, which means do not teach, correct, instruct. Do not rebuke mockers or or fools. Do not rebuke mockers, fools, for they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. You see, what he's saying here is that a foolish person is someone who hears the truth and then walks away from it totally unchanged. And a fool might be the smartest person in the room. They've read the most books, they've listened to the most sermons, but they've still built their house on sand because they don't apply the teaching that they've received. But a wise person, a wise person is someone who hears the truth and then changes themselves. They adjust themselves to change to the truth. Don't build your house on sand. Don't go into debt. Don't become a workaholic. Don't neglect your most important relationships. And they adjust themselves to the truth. They don't build their houses on sand. They, They get out of debt. They go on a date with their spouse. They spend time in prayer and fasting. But a fool, a fool is someone who hears the truth the same truth, and then tries to change the truth. Don't build your house on sand. Well, no, no, it's okay because I've I've got reinforcements. No, it's okay because I've got a good credit score and actually I just got approved for a higher loan. No, it's okay because I just got a promotion and so I can miss some time with my family because I'm busy providing financial support for them. So who really cares about the emotional support? It's It's okay that I forgot my wife's birthday because we've been married for so long that she's not going anywhere. The storm won't come. 
the stream won't rise for me. And the problem, the problem with the fool is that the problem is never in the room. The, the problem is always externalized. It, it's always out there. It's always somebody else's fault. Or it's always something that is totally unforeseen and unexpected. How could I possibly have expected or planned for this? They never actually own the problem. And it's really hard to solve a problem if you never own up to the fact that there is a problem to begin with. They can't own up to it. They can't take it on themselves and thus they can't ever change. And so they just keep building their house on sand. They just keep putting lipstick on a pig until that pig looks like a Kardashian. They may have a show. They may have a show of religiosity, but they lacked that essential, transformational core faith. And so let me take you to just one last passage of Scripture. This comes from Paul, who was writing to his mentee, Timothy, his younger kind of colleague, Timothy. And Paul gives him some practical advice, some kind of wisdom here. And he says this in the second letter to Timothy. He says, one day there's going to be people who will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Make a note of that one. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does anyone come to mind to you? Personally, someone you know on TV, someone in the government. Or how about yourself? Right? Does any of that sound familiar to you, descriptive of you? He says, they all have a form of godliness, but denying its power. That there's there's an incompatibility here. That they may have a form of godliness, they may have an external show of religiosity, but they deny its power. And what power is that, Paul says? It's that power to change all that stuff. All that stuff. That's the power that Paul is talking about here. The power of God to really work within our lives and change us because that's what God's desire is, to see us change, to see us flourishing. So Paul says, stop it. Stop trying to put lipstick on a pig. Stop trying to build your house on sand. Stop presenting an externalized form of religiosity and instead accept, seek, take hold of the power of God that can actually transform you. That power that can be accessed when you don't just attend, when you don't just listen, but the power that is accessed when you actually take hold of it and you do it. When you become obedient and surrender when you hear the truth and you change yourself. And I don't know what truth that is for you individually. I, I don't know what truth it is that, that you need to wrestle with to, to kind of round out some of those parts of your lives, those things that you've been trying to cover up and gloss over for some time. I, I, I don't know what that is for you, but I bet bet that you do. And maybe you even made a New Year's resolution about it. You already know what the problem is. 
you know what needs to be dealt with. And look, we, we all have struggles. We, we've all made some foolish decisions before. But the decision that you have to make now is are you going to listen to the truth and change yourself? Or are you going to listen to the truth and remain a fool? So I lied. There's actually one last piece of scripture. For those of you who still haven't quite gotten it yet, and you're thinking, no, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm, I'm good. It says this, Paul says this again from 1 Corinthians. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, <clears throat> if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. We all have storms. The rain falls on all of us. The streams rise. The winds blow and beat against each and every one of us. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Friends, there is a way out. But it's not going to come through an externalized show of religiosity. It's only going to come, only going to come from an internal transformational faith. And I know that it might mean that you have to jack up the house a little bit and do some hard work on the foundation. But if you're willing to do the heavy lifting... If you're willing to to get out of the way and and move out of the sand, well, maybe there is a way out. Maybe there is a way off of the sand. And and maybe it, it would come through something that I've mentioned here today. Getting in a small group. Devoting some of your day, some of your life, to actually reading scripture and then applying it to your life. Don't deny the power of godliness. Because here's, here's an opportunity. <laughs> That's what this is all about. Here's an opportunity to take hold of the power of God to transform you. That over the next five weeks, you could take hold of that. To live into it, to accept it, to be obedient to the teaching and surrender yourself to it. And then after a few weeks, look back and maybe see some change of how God is at work in your life. Is it worth it to you? What's the cost? And really, really, what is at risk if you don't? Let's pray. Oh God, you... uh, are faithful. And Lord, we confess and we ask for your forgiveness for all the times that you have taught us. We thank you for Jesus and his teachings, his grace and his truth. But Lord, we acknowledge and we ask for forgiveness for all the times that we've heard it And then we've turned our backs on it. We've pushed it to the backs of our minds. And so, Lord God, we we ask that your Holy Spirit would work within us. That you would move within us.
to break open our hearts a little bit, to find your grace that changes us. Because, Lord, you are faithful even when we are faithless. You've shown us obedience even when we are disobedient. And you've given us the promise that if anyone is in Christ, that if anyone is in you, there is a new creation. That who we were before you is done away with, but there's a new creation here and now, today. And so Holy Spirit, search our hearts for those things that we've been covering up, those things that we've been lying to others and lying to ourselves about. God, I pray that you unearth it a little bit that you put it before us. But God, put it before us with grace, saying that you can help us change it. May we be obedient to that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.